Uh, without further ado, I wanted to, to dive right into some of these, these conversations and stories. And, and really, Jeff, I think we'll start with you. I just wanted to hear a little bit about where in the, the journey of, of General Code were you deciding that this was going to be uh, a, a really essential piece of, of the business that you wanted to create and the culture that you wanted to create? You know, uh, thanks, Andrew, uh, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, well, we, uh, a little bit of background about General Code. Uh, you know, we were a six-year-old business. We were started in Rochester. Uh, we've got about 130 employees at this, uh, at this point. Uh, we've always had kind of a, a natural diversity. Uh, I think it kind of connects to the, the, the nature of our work. Um, you know, let me start by apologizing if I say any of this incorrectly, because, you know, I'm trying to do the work and say the right things, but, you know, we have gender and gender identity diversity, right? Um, most of our management and senior management uh, is female. We have people that are trans. Uh, we have uh, people of different national origins. We have a number of um, uh, people who are first generation immigrants, uh, uh, English as second language. Uh, we have people of color, uh, but that's all kind of happened organically. Uh, it was really just kind of in the last probably five years or so that we recognized, you know, that, you know, diversity in and of itself, you know, brings value to the organization. And we haven't really put any focus on not only having a, a diverse population, but also just making people feel like they belong or having like inclusivity. So, um, you know, it, within the last five years, and again, you know, it's 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 it started with just looking at our kind of organization and demographics, uh, and it uh, has kind of accelerated over the last couple of years as it's become more kind of of a conscious thought for for everybody, but us, you know, included. Yeah. So it sounds like it, at least the the spirit of it maybe was was part of your organization, but but it does really take intentional effort uh, to to do this, and so. When you, when you all did decide that this was something you wanted to be intentional and, and wanted to make some, some real progress on, where, where did you start? Because I think that that's sometimes a, a stumbling block for, for organizations. You know, they, they put out the statement, they, they support, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion, but, but they're not really sure how to get started. Sure, sure. So um, a little more background about General Code. One of the things that we pride ourselves on is being a great place to work. You know, it's a, it's a cornerstone of our... Um, our, our strat map, our strategic plan, uh, all of our kind of um, strategic initiatives are kind of built off from that. So um, a big part of being a great place to work at General Code is uh, tied to our, our company values. We've had for the entire lifespan of the organization, we've had a defined set of company values, uh, things like honesty and integrity, teamwork, personal responsibility. Uh, so that's really integrated into our culture. Uh, it's uh, you know where it kind of manifests um, talent management process, personal evaluations are tied to our values. People are, um, you know, essentially measured against how well they live our company values, you know, both in their work and their interactions with others. So kind of the first action we took when we recognized, I guess, you know, that this needs to be a focus for us is we added a new value to our company values. And, you know, that may not sound like much, you know, like you said, making a statement and putting it out there. Um, but the adding um, diversity and inclusivity to our company values uh, as tightly as the company values are integrated into our culture and our daily lives uh, really is, uh, from, for the purposes of our company, is making a commitment. And so that now, um, that integrates into so many different 
aspects of the company as far as you know uh, what we discuss and what we tie our strategic initiatives back to, what how staff are evaluated, like I mentioned, you know how we present ourselves to our, our potential clients and other uh, businesses that we interact with. So that was kind of the, the, the first and major and most visual step in our process. Yeah, well, and, and I know that you've also been, uh, you know, in the theme of conscious leadership, you've been you've been leading by example as well. You've been you've been, uh, you know, part of this is actually part of this conversation came out of some of the uh, the exploring racism groups. So can you tell a little bit about uh, why you decided to, to make that commitment and maybe what you've learned along the way? Uh, I think. Um... For me personally, being part of the of the Exploring Racism group was more about, you know, uh, my own awareness and what I could bring back to our organization. And I, you know, I, I realized, you know, that uh, I had never looked at, uh, I guess, my own unconscious bias or thought about, you know, uh, what what role, you know, I may play in a, a larger kind of systemic issue around racism and inequality. Uh, so when that opportunity arose and I had the, the opportunity to participate uh, with that group and, and meet uh, everybody and do that work, uh, I gladly jumped on the opportunity. You know, what I had shared, you know, it was kind of twofold. It was for me personally, it was about bringing it back to my workplace, you know, and, and helping to continue to grow and evolve our culture, uh, but also as a, as a person, as a human being, and as a, as a parent, I'm raising two young children, uh, and I really, I, wanna, I want my kids to grow up, you know, better than I am. I don't think I'm bad, but I, there's, I want them to be better. Right. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll make sure to, to link to that in the chat. Um, you know, for, for those that aren't familiar, uh, the, the exploring racism groups are, are a great way to kind of do some of that personal work and, and they've been at it for quite a while and, uh, and it's, it's continuing to grow, which is exciting to see. Uh, so in terms of looking back at the, at the organization then Jeff, what, um, what have been some of the kind of big wins? You know, you, you added this to, to your to your company values. I, I think we both know that uh, you know the maybe that's maybe that's the first step and the scary step, right? Because then you're publicly committing to it. So mm -hmm. so what were some of the things that kind of flowed from that in terms of how you actually bring that to life in the organization? Sure. Yeah. I mean, just um, you know, uh, what we call I guess socializing the concept and making people understand why we consider this. We as senior leaders. Uh, consider this important, getting input, you know, back from staff on, on their thoughts. Um, you know, uh, we took advantage of the 21-day um, the equity challenge uh, that was going on in Rochester. Uh, what our contribution was is we, we paid staff to participate. You know, we, we, um, uh, the nature of our work is we, um, we track our time kind of like a law firm, right, down to the tenth of an hour. Uh, and then that, that it's like billable time, you know, that's the nature of our business. So, um, you know, we gave uh, staff the opportunity to, to do this work, you know, participate in that program um, and then, and, and get paid for it, you know? So um, we, we had, uh, we didn't, it wasn't mandatory, um, but we had uh, participation, something like 72% of staff participated in this. Um, this program and it, it generated some interesting discussions and dialogue and people coming forward, you know, um, you know, reacting positively to what they learned and also coming forward with, you know, questions, you know, well, I, I never really understood this, you know, and so um, uh, I think that was that was a win getting, you know, not only engagement and participation, but getting commitment from the organization that we were going to, you know, kind of put our money more where our mouth is, if you will. Um, Definitely. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I, was, I was just going to ask, you know, I know that, um, you know, I know as, as we've kind of framed up and, and I really so appreciate 
both you and Steve kind of being, being uh, open and, and vulnerable a little bit too, to, to share that, you know, I, I think that many of us, despite, uh, despite our best intentions, you know, in, in the workplace, trying to make these changes, it, it doesn't always go as planned. So has there been anything along the way that, uh, that is that has either made you stumble and or gaps that you're noticing that are kind of some future goals. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, so one of the things um, you know coming out of the um, you know the worst of the pandemic last year, um, we we had a kind of a hiring freeze for last year because of the uncertainty in the economy, especially since most of our clients are in the local government space, and you know with the the downturn in the economy and that has an impact on tax revenue, which has an impact on the ability for governments to fund programs. So um, we've lifted that hiring freeze. So we took advantage of that coming into this year to look at our hiring plans for this year uh, to, to kind of take a deep dive into our, our job descriptions and our postings to try and uncover, um, you know, unconscious bias, you know. So we looked at things like, you know, um, relevant work experience, um, educational requirements for positions that we were posting. And we really, um, you know, we, we loosened them up. You know, uh, we, you know, took away what we kind of some of that thinking like, well, you know, the only way somebody could be successful in a position is if they have this, this and this pedigree. And, you know, it's when you step back and you think about it and you think about different perspectives and different experiences, it's not necessarily critical. You know, it's it's not like we're, you know, we're hiring, you know, doctors, you know, where people have to, you know, or, or people that have to be, you know, I don't know certified in something right you know it's a it's a it's a lot more kind of um uh looser than that i guess if you will so that was the first thing we did um and then we we looked at our hiring practice as far as where we post and how we post because what what i had really hoped for was that you know in our hiring this year this is an opportunity for us to bring in new perspectives and different perspectives uh but as far as stumbling it didn't it didn't work you know we didn't uh, we, we got our normal kind of pool of applicants, you know, um, the, um, we didn't uh, have um, really a diverse population, you know, to be looking across when we were trying to fill, you know, these positions in our organizations. So looking at, you know, I think that's the, the first thing is trying to understand what, what is it about our, our hiring and our hiring practice and how we recruit, you know, that isn't getting us um, uh, different different perspectives, different experiences. Great. Well, um, that that's perfect. Perfect segue into really inviting uh, Mohammed into this conversation. So uh, Mo is the CEO and Chief Diversity Officer of EDI Executive Search. Uh, has a, a lot of experience both in the in the executive search, um, but also in the in the culture change process. And and really, when we're talking about hiring, I know um, I, I know I've learned so much from Mo. Uh, but I think, you know, there's kind of almost two parts to this mode that maybe you can elucidate on a little bit uh, as, we're, as we're sharing maybe some of, some of your best practices and things that, that you've learned. But I think sometimes, as Jeff was mentioning, you know, it's part of what can you do or, or what should you do, uh, you know, to, to take away some of, some of the elements of bias, to, to make sure that, that the, uh, the application is reaching, reaching the right folks in the first place. But then sometimes you even need to go further upstream in terms of how do you start to build a pipeline uh, so that there's more people that are there that know about your company that are qualified for the job that that you know have all those th those sorts of things. So um, anything kind of in your experience that that you can share in terms of maybe some some case studies or, or client examples or, or best practices and some of those things that people should think about. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Jeff, uh, for this. Um, 
background that you, you, you explained to us and expressed uh, some of the challenges that you've had, uh, it's always an opportunity to have these conversations uh, whenever it's necessary. Um, and whenever we get the chance to have these conversations, I wanted to capture and, and really capture a few things that I've heard Jeff when he was speaking. One is the recognize, recognizing the self nature of what it is. I think we have a, can everybody hear me still? Can hear you. Thumbs up, cartwheels, <laughs> handstands, whatever works for people. All right. Um, so this idea of a self-exploratory journey that was necessary to bring Steve to this position of understanding what it would take to actually, I mean, Jeff, to understand what it would take to engage in this work in a more intentional way. Uh, that is where the rubber meets the road often because we're conditioned to really oftentimes just say that it's not me, it's the other. And as a result, when we use the otherness uh, to address these issues, then we will never be able as leaders to really think critically about what or how complicit we may be in our leadership uh, approach to addressing some of these issues within our respective organizations. So that's a very important thing to, to pay attention to. The second thing is who is championing and helping in designing and redefining all the job descriptions that you mentioned? How is that being done? Because there are certain ways to do it, technical ways of looking at some of these things and there are also some strategic ways of looking. So those are the things that I caught for that. And then thirdly, there's a cautionary tale that I want every one of us has to pay attention to. This idea of trade-off with diversity, right? That we have to lower down quality of a pool or the expertise and things of that nature in order to drive in and bring in diverse candidates. We have to be very careful about that because we have diverse candidates from all walks of life doing all kinds of jobs and all kinds of roles across the country. So that's why oftentimes I ask, if we have the right folks doing the looking at those job descriptions and helping, they, they could tell you that you don't need to bring in, there's no trade-off with diversity and equity and inclusion work per se. It's just equivalency of looking at some of those things in certain areas. It's a very interesting conversation that we could have, and I know in the interest of time, I just wanted to probe it uh, and, and share with folks that is something that I thought. And then thirdly, I mean, fourthly, is the posting process. Where are we looking? How are we doing it? Uh, how intentional are we being in posting? Who are we partnering with to do it? And, and what are the resources that we're allocating to get it done effectively and, and sustainably? So those are the few things. However, I do know that uh, a lot of these things um, take a little bit more of, of an intentionality from the organizational aspect of this, of this because as we, uh, recruiting, and particularly as we're interviewing, we ought to also know that in candidates are interviewing us in the process. And they're watching our company mission and vision and values and everything that we're doing and saying, do I see myself here? Is this a place that I can see myself working and thriving in this climate? And so your language during your interview process, you may have all the right language in the job description, but during this 
person personal interaction, folks can glean certain things that may not entice them to come work uh, for you, even if you are labeled as a great place to work uh, for the organization. And so those are a few pieces of things that are coming to my mind uh, as we engage in this. And then how do you leverage all the things that you've done so far, Jeff, in changing your values? That takes a lot of effort to incorporate DEI into your values. Organizational values are, not, are one of those things that become taboo. And we talk about this in conscious capitalism conversations, right, Andrew? Uh, become taboo to touch, right? But if you actually are engaged in a more intentional way to look at that, how many of us work at an organization and we never were part of really creating those values, right? All of us have worked in organizations. We showed up, we kind of liked it. We said, okay, I can see myself there. And then you get there and you realize that everything that is posted is always what it seems. So the culture comes in place. So I would say that beginning this work, looking at it from a long-term and longitudinal view of this, and not just what we call the performative aspect of it, uh, will be very important. And whether intentional or unintentionally, uh, we could talk about that as well when the Q&A uh, comes on board. The other piece that I wanted to share before I move on in the interest of time is this idea of interest convergence. And please hold me accountable to explain further what that means when we engage in more a conversation with the audience. Great, thanks so much, Mel. Um, always learned so much from you. And, and now I, I wanna turn to, uh, to Steve Metzger from Labella and, and kind of kick it off with the, with the same question, just real briefly, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about Labella and, and where it was in your journey that you decided to start to make a, a more intentional uh, progress in diversity and inclusion. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And thank you, Jeff and Mo. And now I see why you had them go first. Uh, great job, guys, and great job to my fellow cohort member, uh, Jeff, and uh, explaining what uh, General Code does. Uh, just a, a little bit of background about LaBelle Associates. We're an architecture engineering firm headquartered here in Rochester. Um, today, we're about 1,200 people. I'm happy to report that about 500 of those jobs are in the Rochester area. Um, 10 years ago in 2010, 100% of our employees were in the Rochester area, but we were only 200. Now we're 1,200 and uh, 500. A little less than half of our population resides and works here in Rochester. So Rochester is uh, very important to us and um, you know we grew up here. Uh, we're 43 years old now and uh, I am only the third CEO to uh, occupy the seat for Labella. Some people may recognize the name Sal Labella or Sergio Esteban, uh, both towering figures in our local community. And many people ask me, uh, how are you gonna fill those shoes? <laughs> And my answer is, well, I have my own shoes and uh, I'm going to do things maybe a little differently, but there's no way that I could replace Sergio or sell one for one. But uh, one of the things, you know, I benefited from, I've been here 26 years, um, was the culture that was uh, built by Sal, Sergio and perpetuated uh, over this growth spurt that we've experienced over the last 10 years by the management team. Uh, and, you know, like Jeff, we have uh, our core values. They're four. I could talk all day about them, but I'm, not, I'm just going to name them. They're uh, honest, honesty, stewardship of resources, um, leadership at all levels, and growth. We're a growth-oriented organization. And so when you combine all those things together, 
what we like to um, say is that we've generated an environment of empowerment for our employees. And you know, I, I respect what Mo said about these values and uh, people coming on board and, not, and realizing that not all of them are followed all the time. I think that we are very conscious of that and make a, a, a large effort to um, make sure that people are experiencing those, um, those uh, values to the fullest. And I think we see this reflected in some of these surveys that we participate in, blind surveys. Uh, Jeff mentioned the um, best places to work um, type thing. We've been certified through blind surveys as a, as a great place to work um, where we don't have a chance to doctor the the surveys that come back, it's a, directly from the employees. So we take a look at that and we say, hmm, okay, what we're doing, we're doing okay. People are getting it, they enjoy the culture. It's one of the things we rate very highly. Um, so anyway, so where did it start? I, um, so I became CEO last year in 2020, January 2020, and then pandemic. Great. Congratulations, great yeah. <laughs> Social turmoil, of course, uh, happened, uh, uh, last summer quite a bit and continues with the trial that's going on going today. Um, but that really raised our consciousness, um, my consciousness, and there was outrage uh, uh, out expressed by staff at a level that I had never experienced before. And so I, we sort of recognized we needed to do sing, something. So coincidentally on June 19th last year, our board uh, adopted a condemnation of racism that sort of pulled in our corporate values, honesty, you know, uh, stewardship, leadership growth, pulled all of that as the backdrop for an expression of outrage uh, against racism. And you know, we also included that we want to make efforts to become more diverse and inclusive in our, in our culture. So that's sort of where it started. I know we don't have a lot of time. I could talk a lot, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop there and um, let Andrew take no, it's perfect. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, as, as Mo and, and others sometimes talk about, sometimes there's a, there's a performative or an opportunistic aspect of, you know, putting out the, the social media statement or, or you know, you, you took a, a step to, to take a formal resolution of the board of directors. Uh, but I know that your commitment goes so much, so much beyond the, the performative um, or, or so much beyond kind of just that one moment in time because you've you've really committed to uh, to the work afterwards. So so tell us a little bit about the inclusion council that was established and some of their kind of early progress. Yeah, and I'll go back a little bit further and say that um, I was invited by a colleague to participate in the exploring racism group discussions uh, a couple of years ago, and I can remember receiving that invite and saying, "Hmm, this looks interesting. Uh, I'm not a racist. This should be easy." <laughs> I've learned quite a bit since then. Uh, I, I still don't like to think of myself as a racist, but as, as a perhaps a participant in a structure where I didn't stand up and do something about it, um, you know, more actively, uh, I, I, I'm guilty. So anyway, so today is a different day. Uh, I'm trying to do what I can in my circle to, to make a difference in that regard. Um, our DEI council kind of came out as, um, you know, an idea of um, out of last summer and sort of this uh, expression of outrage hearing amongst our employees and this idea that um, these things are totally opposite against Lavelle's core values. We're about lifting people up. We're about making opportunities, growth opportunities for people. 
we don't want to get uh, let things get in the way of that. So let's get rid of the the baggage of uh, you know um, or, uh, race, sex orientation, gender. Let's focus on making opportunities for our employees and make sure that that's uh, clear and center. So we we got a team together, including myself, uh, our president, our HR director, and. Um, we put our heads together and sort of dreamed up this idea of an inclusion council, hired a, an outside consultant to help us facilitate that. She's been wonderful. Um, we added some more people to this, what we call the task force. Um, got it up to about eight people of management level folks and then decided we needed to round out this inclusion council with people from uh, you know, more, uh, more diverse areas of the company. So. We went through a process where we put this out there and said, if you are interested in participating, fill out this application, write an essay as to why this is important to you, and we'll review those and um, we'll pick uh, we'll pick a council. We wanted to limit it to 15. We already had seven, so we could only add eight. We got over 30 applications, so we had to we had to disappoint a, a lot of really really qualified uh, candidates. I, I'm I'm sorry to say, but I'm happy to say that there's so much uh, enthusiasm and passion around the topic within our company. So anyway, we're in the beginning stages. Again, I'll stop there. I could tell you, talk to you more about that inclusion council, but that's how we came, that's how it came about. Perfect. And, and then one of the things that I, I really wanted uh, to dive into as well that we chatted a little bit about was, you know, what are some of the things that, that you all are doing to try to measure success? Because I know we talked, uh, you know, about some, some of the t times where, companies that you're, that you're working with or subcontracting with, you know, talking about MWBE certification. And sometimes that's, uh, you know, not always a, a perfect way to, to measure really what, what the ultimate goal is, both because of the difficulty of, you know, some organizations to get certified and any number of other things. So can you tell us a little bit about why that maybe didn't work out as a metric for you? And then maybe what some of the other metrics that you're trying to focus on, uh, you know, on this journey? Yeah. Uh, the MWBE uh, um, programs are, and DBE on the federal level are, are tricky for us because they, they involve requirements of percentages. And um, a lot of times, uh, you know, as the lead consultant, we expend our resources to secure work. And then um, w there's a certain percentage that must be obligated to MWBEs. It's a, it's a great idea and concept. But what we find is many of these MWBEs employ non-diverse workforces uh, themselves. Uh, and so that's really, we don't think the ultimate goal. What we would like to do is be more proactive and more internally uh, work on that and improve our, you know, our uh, diversity and be able to demonstrate that to our clients. I mean, we work for clients that want our staff to look like they do. The city of Rochester, city school district, you know, many municipal governments, they want to hire a firm that um, and it involves populations that uh, the, the, their constituents, and, and we want to as well. So, uh, so we are we are working on that, uh, and that is a goal of the DEI uh, council is to come up with some recommendations and how we can better do that. I will say one project I worked on was the port of uh, Rochester recently, the the marina conversion uh, from the fast ferry project, which I also worked on uh, decades ago. Um, but that involved a PLA, a project labor agreement, which was really interesting because the PLA required workforce uh, 
percentages uh, you know, of diversity in measured uh, percentages, which is what we want. We want people performing the work um, you know, to be of a diverse uh, uh, group and not, not the, only the people at the top. So we learned, we've worked on a few PLAs, the Midtown was also another one. And we sort of learned from that and said, we can do this in a better, you know, more meaningful way if we, if we you know, come at it from our angle. Great. Thank you so much, Steve. And uh, I, I'm already getting some questions in the chat. So we'll circle back to those to learn more about the Inclusion Council. But I wanted to kick it over to Mo. Uh, you know, again, for, for those organizations that are trying to make progress, I think that, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of the, the old adage of, you know, what gets measured gets improved and all, all sorts of things. But as, as Steve just discussed, and I've seen it happen countless other times, uh, you know, where sometimes if, if you have a metric, it gets distorted a little bit, Mo. So what are some of the ways that you try to help organizations think about what they should be measuring to actually make meaningful progress on their goals? Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Steve, as always. Uh, I would even add a little bit more on top of what doesn't get measured is what doesn't get prioritized will never get done. So, to see the prioritization that you're taking in some of these things is, is, is really a very good step in the right direction because internally, if you curate this internally well, then you're positioned and better prepared to face it when you're confronted with any challenges outside, vis-a-vis -vis the limitations with recruitment, limitations with diversifying teams, and so on and so forth. The other piece that comes to mind is there are many ways you can do this in looking at uh, M particularly MWBE certification, uh, the process is grueling for a lot of small businesses. I was on a panel uh, a few weeks back and we were talking to some of New York State to think about how they could actually streamline the process and make it a little bit easier uh, for folks to be able to get that certification in a very uh, in, in a specific way. So that's something that I wanted to posit for everybody to just know. But the idea of KPIs with DEI is not new. It's been around for quite some time and a lot of folks will talk about key performance indicators and goals, but there are really good opportunities to think about what we call DEI scorecards. Diversity scorecards will allow you to take an internal dive and look intentionally as to what are all the different components of your organization that needs to be reviewed and analyzed to see where the blind spots are. And in these scorecards, once you get those scorecards, we do what we call diversity mapping, right? After we find out what those things are, then we will map it onto your organizational aspirations, not need. I want to really distinguish this here. We have to move away from looking at DEI and some of this work as a need, because what happens to needs when they're met, right? Usually that's the issue we we're confronted with. When our needs are met, then the officer, the diversity officer becomes obsolete. The DEI initiative becomes a, an obsolete initiative and so on and so forth. So we map it onto your aspirations beyond your needs. And that's where we get a lot of the work done uh, a lot of times. And then there's also some opportunities to really take a look at what are the goals of the organization do we have people that are champion to do this work beyond everybody knowing it's important? That's great. But we need to also have folks to really drive this home because 
as I mentioned, what doesn't get prioritized will not get done. We don't do marketing this way. If you have marketing department, we don't say everybody works here, it's great. So everybody becomes the marketing team. That's not how we do it. Everybody will go out there, if they enjoy working for the company, they will speak very well about it. And that's a type of marketing, right? But we champion and prioritize marketing specific people to really drive home some of the pieces that we want to see. Similarly, if we make diversity a priority and we essentialize it in our processes and we champion people to give them the resources to do it well, then you have somebody who will be thinking through all of this on a regular basis to bring you the data, to put it together, to analyze it with you and help you make it a better environment for all your employees. So those are the few things that I caught there, Christine. Yeah, thanks, Mo. And the other thing I remember uh, you really talking with with me about a while ago was really to to look as well not only at you know your overall workforce and the diversity, but also look at how maybe that changes at different levels of leadership in the organization, right? Like if if you have uh, diversity in your in your kind of uh, you know frontline workers, but then the higher up you go, the 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 whiter and and uh, more male and and you know older it gets, then then maybe that's uh, you know a, a blind spot as well. So. Right. Um, that's definitely something to be aware of. I love that, Steve, you mentioned the, the, the growth aspect of this uh, as part of a core theme. Our work in our, our organization, we always talk that we are nested between discomfort and growth. Our DEI work is nested between discomfort and growth. And having growth as part of the organizational uh, core value is actually a good thing to really use that, right? to be the conduit for your diversity initiatives and your diversity efforts and everything that you do. Because now it's not new to your people. Now it's not new to the core when you start speaking about some of the things that may come up uh, that will lead to some discomfort in the process, but it's using that as an opportunity for growth would be very helpful um, for the concept. All right, thanks so much, Mo. So for those of you who are regular Rock Growth attendees, you know that this is something that uh, they, they frequently do is to take take a little bit of a pause for a, a, an ability to spotlight some of the collaborative partners and aligned organizations. And so I wanna kick it over to uh, Katie Pulver from Junior Achievement to give a little uh, you know, minute or two pitch on something that they're working on and, uh, and could use help from the audience. Uh, we, we have a few of these lined up and then make sure that you're putting your questions in the chat and that's where we'll start when we come back. You with us, Katie? I am. I'm just getting my everything set up. No problem. Everybody, I'm so glad to uh, have been a part of today's uh, conversation. It's important work uh, that we are all doing. Uh, and certainly, we don't get anywhere if we don't have these open discussions and really uh, get on the same page with each other about where our priorities are. So I appreciate uh, being able to hear all of that. and. As an organization that deals with young people uh, and certainly with the ages that are going to be aging into your workforce soon, uh, we feel that it's really important to be sure that we uh, offered and put out there an opportunity that we're going to be doing that is called JA Inspire. Uh, and this is a uh, not just a JA local program, this is a national program. Uh, that we are going to be launching here. I have up some information for you to see on JA Inspire. It is a career exploration fair. It is digitized. So students will be going through 
a uh, state-of-the-art simulation environment where they can actually see booths of local businesses and not just local to Rochester, but local to our 25 county footprint in New York State. So think of it as a regional opportunity as well. And the need is there. Uh, we have already 7,000 students, almost 8,000 students that their teachers and schools have said they want them to go through. And as you can imagine in this environment, they can't get you in and they can't get out to you. So if we can merge that all together in this simulation environment that you can have a booth at and be able to have students see you, what a great opportunity for them to learn about you, learn about your priorities, understand the culture and the work opportunities in your business. And this isn't just a one and done situation for us. This is something we will keep going uh, as a long-term strategy because the reality is schools are going to be limited even after this year on their capacity to get out. And when you think about our urban and our suburban and rural students that we serve, not everybody has the access and equity. So if this levels that playing field to give everyone that chance, then we really have to do the right thing and ensure that we're bringing everyone together to give them that opportunity, not just to learn, but if they're the appropriate age, then they might be able to be eligible for some internships. They could be eligible for some jobs that you might have. All of that is relevant and that you can put in there. So I'm going to, in the chat box, add uh, a link to our website so that you can go see it. And I'm certainly more than willing, I'll put my email address in there as well, to give you a demo. Because seeing is believing with this site. Andrew can certainly uh, attest to that, ask him. One of our other board members who's on here, Dave Romano today, uh, can attest that they've seen it and they all were like, okay, now we get why you want to do this. So um, again, thank you. Uh, I don't know if there's time for any questions, but certainly feel free to reach out to any of us on that. Yeah, any questions, please uh, reach out to Katie in the chat or uh, she'll put her info in the chat as well. And uh, for those that are watching the recording, we'll make sure to, to include that as well. So if, if you are looking to diversify your pipeline and you know, wanna look uh, a few years ahead and wanna put up a, a virtual booth and really help expand some career horizons for, for those young people, uh, please reach out to Katie. Uh, now, thanks again, Katie. I want, want to kick it over to uh, Graham Hughes uh, from the Community Land Trust, as well as Kelvin Eaton from uh, 540 West Main. They have a gentrification conference coming up. Thank you. Um, hi, folks. My name is Graham Hughes. I'm the Special Projects Coordinator for City Roots Community Land Trust. Uh, City Roots' mission is to develop communities without displacing any of the people that live in those communities. And we do this through community-owned and managed land uh, that secures permanently affordable housing for, for the people in our community. Um, a really, really huge project of our organization and of 540 West Main that we've been putting on every year for the last couple of years is uh, the annual Gentrification Conference. And it's happening this weekend. The theme of our conference this year is uh, resisting gentrification then and now. Uh, we'll have sessions that cover the history of gentrification in Rochester and talk about uh, the, the people and the systems that allow development that results in displacement to happen. Uh, we'll talk about uh, communities and, uh, and individuals who have resisted to being displaced over the years. And finally, what, what everybody in our community can do to, to really holistically develop communities without displacing any of the people that have lived there for, for generations. Um, we think that this is a really, really important topic. 
We're going to have some incredible speakers that come. Uh, our keynote is by a gentleman named Gus Newport, who grew up in Rochester in the 50s and 60s. Uh, went on to lead civil rights organizations here before moving to California, where he became the mayor of Berkeley. Um, he's lived an incredible life. Uh, and he's, he's 86 and he's still going and he's, he's very excited to come back to Rochester and share his experiences with us. Um, so we will, we will definitely provide the link in the chat. My colleague Casey from 540 West Main is going to link uh, the, the registration in the chat. Um, please feel free to, to, to share this widely with your organizations. Um, you can, all can register at whatever level you feel comfortable and appropriate registering. Um, and I, the last thing I'll say is that if you can't make it to all the sessions on Saturday, everything will be recorded so you can watch them at your own convenience. So definitely register ahead of time um, if you want those recordings as well. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll just end by saying I personally have been working really hard in this conference and I'm incredibly excited for the event and the workshops that we're going to put on. Um, so I, I really hope you all can join us. Really important conversations. Thank you so much, uh, Graham, and, and and thank you for for the work that you've been doing on that. We we talk a lot in conscious capitalism about trying to create an inclusive prosperity, and and lately I've been hearing a lot of people talk about an inclusive recovery too from uh, from mm. the pandemic and from so much disruption going on. And so so hopefully uh, that that can be a, a great place to to continue some of these conversations. So uh, last but not least, I wanted to uh, throw it over to Richard uh, from, from Rock Girl to talk about a, an art grant that they have and some of the, some of the great people that were able to, uh, to benefit from that. Well, yeah, I mean, this is a good segue because we just know, saw the pandemic um, worked out all right for wealthy people and not so well for the people who have been denied opportunities. So it's sort of thematic. And, and one category in our community that has really struggled and has also struggled over the years from segregation and non-inclusion are the artists. So Rock Growth has received some financial support and within uh, several weeks contributed $12,000 to 12 different artists and most of them of color. And very, we have an incredible, incredible talent pool in our community that we don't avail ourselves. And I suggest that's one of the reasons why Rochester might not be hitting on all cylinders. There are two individuals on a future. I'm sorry, I, I'm speaking too much, but in, we're incredible people. We have Jakob Shabazz and we have Christina Kaiser. So they're recipients, but they've created some educational programming that can end up, you know, um, magnifying the, uh, the benefit of this program. The rather other grants went to individual creatives. So Jakob, are you around? I know yeah, you're uh, So yeah, I'm Jakub Shabazz uh, from SankofaStudios.com. Uh, I'm one of those people who was Im impacted by the pandemic. I had a brick and mortar location here in East Rochester. And uh, because of the pandemic, I had to shut down. I did a lot of art classes and art history teaching there. Uh, which leads to my project is uh, it's kind of a passion project, something I've been working on for a long time. And it's that <clears throat> it's, it's, it was centered and inspired around the feeling that a lot of black creatives uh, have when they enter mainstream art galleries and that we don't see ourselves represented and what's hanging on the walls. And we hear a lot of, you know, the standards, Vincent Van Gogh, Monet, Dali, Pollard, we hear those names recited kind of on the loop. And, and some of those great uh, black art, um, black American artists that have contributed to contemporary art and modern art today are left out of those conversations. So I started creating a curriculum 
Um, I do webinars around these individuals over the last several years. And this grant has helped to springboard the publishing of the first section of what will be a 12 part uh, curriculum. Uh, it's not a book, it's a, more of a teacher's guide that an educator can take and use it. Uh, people that are my age, probably older, remember those red letter teacher guides that the teacher would have. It's in that, it's in that old school style. <clears throat> so it's very user friendly. A person could come in, it has PowerPoint presentations on CD. It has uh, lectures. Uh, so you'll hear my, my voice uh, putting you to sleep uh, for part of it. And <laughs> it's very informative, very fun, very interactive. Uh, and it's a really good program. The first one is on the life and times of Aaron Douglas, who is known as the father of the Harlem Renaissance. And uh, I should be done publishing that, that within the next week or so. Uh, thanks to the grant that I got from Rock Growth. Excellent. And count on the count on the artists to have the best Zoom background on the on the meeting. Christina, I know you uh, you were able to make it in. Yeah, I was. Thank you. Hi, everyone. My name is Christina Kaiser. I am the director of the Arts Collective. If you aren't familiar with us, we're located in the Rochester Public Market. Um, and thank you so much for Rock Growth for this opportunity. Um, the grant that we received will be used towards our teen program. So this will be our second session this summer. It's going to run June, July, and August. And um, there's gonna be eight sessions that we're working with the teens. They're gonna be mentoring with local artists, going to visit local art galleries and um, all sorts of different educational and professional development opportunities. Um, the standards that we're following are the New York State um, learning curriculum. Um, so uh, thanks to this grant, we'll be able to sponsor four teens in the Market View Heights area to be able to participate in this program. Thank you so much. And the application will be available April 15th. So I'll put our website in the chat and you can find out more there. Fantastic. So uh, yeah, there's there's several of those art grants and, and we'll be highlighting them uh, in, in Rock Growth planning some some meetings coming up to, to, to showcase more of those organizations. Um, with just limited time, actually one of the questions that came up was from Richard. Uh, but, but really, uh, I think this was sort of directed at, at Mo, but, but maybe if anyone else has uh, other, other ideas. Uh, really, it, Richard was saying that many in the Rock Growth community maybe aren't those established organizations like a, like a Labella that's you know, large and been around a long time. Maybe they're a 50 person startup and they're trying to, trying to get started you know, quickly and grow and, and have all these, all these uh, you know, competing priorities. Curious if the uh, if you have any experience or or know of any companies that have really done a great job at uh, at baking this in from the start, especially when they're in a in kind of a high growth entrepreneurial mode and they they have those competing priorities. Yes, actually, that's a very good question. I would actually say it's a wonderful opportunity for those organizations to start off with a culture of inclusive inclusivity. Uh, because often in these fast-paced environments, we know what implicit bias research tells us. Uh, part of the Achilles heel of doing diversity work, particularly as it pertains to implicit biases, is us taking shortcuts to get things done quickly. And in those schemas, when we take those shortcuts to do things, that's where the blind spots show up. So even in a fast-paced environment, there are ways to use agile strategies, right, to really do diversity work effectively. We've worked with an engineering firm uh, that, well, not necessarily engineering only, but 
it was in a very, very regulated industry uh, with refractive surgery, right? And they're doing some new research around that. They wanted to hire engineers, they're growing seven-year-old, they're getting into the space. And we had to work with them intentionally to do some agile work with them. And in terms of our search with them and prepping the leadership team to get up to speed with all the work, that means more work. That's, what it, that's all it means. Uh, in our space, uh, if we're working with a company that is on a growth, small and a growth space. And often those companies and organizations don't have an HR team. Uh, they don't have dedicated teams to do recruitment for them. So the blind spots exacerbate very quickly right? because everybody's trying to help recruit, everybody's doing their thing. And in that space, there's very, very um, interesting uh, research around that. And I'll be talking that at, at length with anyone who wants to reach out to talk about those kinds of spaces. Uh, but there are ways to do it using an agile method that we, we kind of have internally uh, to really meet them where they're at. However, making it clear that sometimes when you do this in that kind of environment without a lot, little bit more intentionality, you can find yourself in all of these blind spots um, with implicit biases as you make decisions. Great, thank you. This next one, Steve, uh, is, is for you. Really just curious, when you created this, this uh, inclusion council, what kinds, of, uh, what kinds of autonomy were they given? What, what kinds of you know, goals maybe are, are you expecting? I know it's, it's maybe early going, but um, what kinds of things are you seeing? And maybe is there anything that you uh, either wish you knew when you got started or would share with others who might be thinking about starting a, a similar program of their own? Now, I would, uh, <clears throat> so far, um, I think things have gone pretty well. I, I would um, say that it's very important if you're gonna start one of these things that you have some things in place. Number one, the cultural uh, flag bearer of the organization has gotta be leading this message. Can't come from HR, can't come from somebody who's designated. It's, if you really wanna do it, it's gotta come from that, that uh, spokesperson or nobody, you know, not many people will pay as much attention as you want to. Um, the other important thing that we did, we made sure we did, is we brought the management team along uh, with us. Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, very broad topic, means a lot of things to different people. We wanted to get everybody up to a certain level set. And to do that, we, we did a uh, unconscious bias training with our consultant. We had Shane uh, Wiegand come in and make a presentation to us about redlining in Rochester, which really struck home with our group, architects, engineers, planners. And uh, sort of got everybody on the same page, like, oh yeah, okay, I get why we're doing this. It's important that we do this, let's go. Um, as far as the council, uh, we have a leadership component to it, but we've really, it's being co-chaired, not by me. I've sort of stepped back a little bit. We've got another guy who leads, he's a manager, but in addition to him, he's, it's being co-chaired by a person um, from quote unquote, the ranks, you know, one of our outstanding employees who has a passion around. So the two of them are working together to manage the group, set the agenda, run the meetings, get the feedback. And just, I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, what they've identified, they've got four buckets they've identified thus far to, to work on. So it's awareness building and education, uh, creating the culture, community engagement, that's very important to us and wish we had more time to talk about that. And then policy and procedure reviews. What do we need to do internally to make some of these things happen? So that's, that's where the task force is at in, in March of 2021. I can't wait to see where they are at the end of the year. But those are the things they're going to be concentrating on. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, actually, community engagement was one of the topics we were uh, 
planning uh, in, in, a, in a program committee for, for conscious capitalism. So maybe we'll tap you again to, to hear more about some of those things. Um, another question, Jeff, uh, was, was around not only looking at some of the ways that, um, you know, trying to be more inclusive in your own workforce, uh, but in, and I guess this could apply to, to either one of you, just in terms of the, the, the work that you're doing, but, but for, for, you know, general code working with, with local governments and, and information and, and those sorts of things, uh, have you changed or started to look at any of the, you know, the work, the, the work, client work that you're doing in terms of how to, um, you know, be more inclusive and, and, you know, be a part of, of positive change in terms of, you know, dismantling structural and, and historic racism. Yeah, it's interesting, the nature of our work, um, you know, if you don't know what the general code is, a codifier helps local governments organize their laws into a code of, code of laws, and a, a big part of what we do is analysis. Uh, so we, we, we see examples of, you know, bias and racism in legislative history. It doesn't come up that frequently because of, you know, the nature of turnover of laws, but uh, part of our, our review process and recommendation process is identifying those things and suggesting that those things be eliminated. Uh, like I said, it's not, it's not frequent, but um, we're definitely seeing that. Uh, you know, we, we are looking at, you know, the law needs to evolve kind of the same way everything else does. You know, we, we, we're dealing on a daily basis with, you know, things like gender neutrality in legislation. You know, uh, I think that there will be kind of a, you know, uh, more of a push for other areas of kind of uh, eliminating barriers to inclusivity in the law you know, as we, as, as time progresses. And I, I expect that we'll be actively involved in that at the local level. Thanks. Anything, Steve, that's come up from, from your perspective or your work, uh, you know, at LaBella, you were mentioning kind of how the, how the redlining discussions really were, were eye-opening. Um, well, that certainly was one. Uh, again, we were, uh, we're very interested in uh, getting involved in the community. I, you know, to Richard's point, the, uh, the, uh, the fact we're not hitting on all cylinders in Rochester is clear. There's so much talent out there. There's so many talented people that are be not being tapped. And I think, you know, as I think about us competing, even as a nation, I mean, how do we compete with China? How do we compete with India? And, and that's tough enough, when, let alone when we have so many talented people that are not being, uh, you know, tapped into. So uh, to the extent that we can develop some programs here at LaBella to make a small difference in that, uh, we're gonna try. Well, uh, somehow we're, we're already up on time. Um, very grateful, though, to all of you for, for joining us today, both, uh, you know, Jeff and Steve for being so willing to, to kind of share the, the, the successes and also some of the challenges in this work and process journey, and, and certainly to Mo for, for sharing some of your expertise uh, we will make sure that we, we share this recording. So if you are inspired today and want to share it with a, with a friend or colleague or want to bring it back into your own organization, uh, that would be wonderful. We, we love to see that. And, uh, and I'm sure any of our panelists as well would be willing to, to chat further if, the, if there's further questions. Uh, but very grateful for, for all of you. Uh, grateful to the, uh, the sponsors of Conscious Capitalism and also to, to Rock Growth for partnering on this. Um, this is a, a continuing discussion, uh, so I can promise that there will be plenty more uh, where this came from in terms of uh, really hitting it on some of, these, some of these issues and continuing to make progress in our community. I think the, the discussion is, is necessary and needed and urgent and uh, grateful for all of you for participating today, hopefully learning a little bit 
and bringing some back to your organization. And please don't hesitate to reach out either to myself or to Richard at Rock Growth. We'd love to hear uh, you know, your ideas for, for future discussions. Uh, sounds like community engagement might be one of them, uh, but also share with us any success stories. What, what companies should we be highlighting and, uh, and, and what, who's, who's really innovating and leading in the space in Rochester because we really need it and, uh, and we're gonna have to do it uh, together. So thank you so much for, for joining us today. Hope you get a chance to go enjoy some of the sunshine.